This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. probably heard me talk about this brewery because it's my favorite brewery in town. Bow and Arrow Brewing Company is based here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's owned by a couple of very awesome native women who you will meet in this podcast. They are Shyla Shepard, who's Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara, and Missy Begay, she's Navajo. We'll get into this episode right away because it's a little bit of a long one, but first... I need to remind you that I have Toasted Sister t-shirts for sale. They've been printed and they are so ready to go. Oh, and and I found some Toasted Sister coffee cups and some zines in my storage, in, in my garage. They were just like sitting way up there in the corner. So there are just a few of those. So go to the now fully stocked online store at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. That's one way you can support this podcast and the important native food journalism I do here. You can also sign up to be a patron on Patreon. It's like a virtual tip jar that you put money into every month and you can pledge anywhere between $2 a month to $100 a month. But every patron is special and gets a personal thank you on a new podcast episode so this time around i'd like to say thank you thank you to shay large jillian denardo ashley miller kelly via and cynthia hannah thank you thank you okay so let's get this episode started shall we You know, really exciting. You guys are coming out with a new beer called Curio, and it's kind of in the in the making here, getting bottled a couple of different ways. I hear. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Curio? Sure. Uh, this is Shyla. So Curio is the first release from our fooder, and it's kind of funny actually how we came upon acquiring this fooder. So it's a big vessel. So it's double the size of any one of our current stainless steel fermentation tanks. So it's a 30 barrel, basically it's a huge oak vessel. Um, Its original use was as an Italian wine cask. Um, And over time, a brewery in Tulsa, Oklahoma called American Solera was actually using it. It was part of their fooder program. And then a year ago, back in April, I think it was, we went on this epic road trip. It was me and Missy, our head brewer, Ted, um, and one of our other employees, we drove across the country to attend the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville. And along the way, we had it in our plan agenda to stop at American Solera just because, you know, we really respect what they're doing there. And along the way, Ted was on Facebook and he was kind of teasing and he was like, hey, Shiloh, we should buy this fooder. American Solera selling it. And I was like, really? what size is it? And we got kind of curious and we're like, well, we're going to be stopping by there anyway. We should just take a look. Um, So we started messaging them and they were going to be around. And then hours later, we're standing in front of the fooder. They were selling several of them. And we just started talking about the possibilities um, we could have with this and really expanding our wild and sour program. Um, that's something that we're really passionate about and we feel has really set ourselves apart. There's a lot of science involved, but there's some art involved in these beers as we'll get into with Curio as well. So long story short, we ultimately bought the fooder. Um, and then early July, actually, Missy's dad happened to be hauling a tractor back this way from Kentucky So we convinced him he actually had room on his flatbed just enough to squeeze our fooder on. (laughs) So uh, first part of 
July last year, they stopped at American Solera and, you know, worked with Chase to maneuver this massive vessel that's pretty delicate, actually, um, onto the flatbed, and it made its way westward on I-40 mm-hmm. here to Bow and Arrow. So we've got pictures of that, I think, in Missy's post yesterday. Yeah, she you included can, it. Yeah. You can see it. It's, like, behind this, like, classic John Deere tractor, this massive <laughs> oak vessel sitting there. Yeah, yeah, so that was, and the scariest part when we received it was offloading it because uh, it has some hardware that sticks out in kind of weird places and it's pretty delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, we used our forklift. We actually have this uh, steel uh, fabrication company next door to us here at the brewery and they have some massive forklifts. So we went over there and they were kind enough to like come over and help us unload it but once like we could stop holding our breaths after the fooder was safely on the ground (laughs) so um so yeah that was back in july of last year we cleaned it prepped it and you know something that we all agreed that we wanted to do with the fooder was to really dedicate it to um farmhouse sales and we're pretty specific we don't just throw around you know the word farmhouse without it being very meaningful. So when we say farmhouse ale, we're talking about everything being sourced locally or at least regionally when it comes to all of the hops and the barley. So we have in Curio barley from Troubadour Maltings up in Northern Colorado, Proximity Malt from Southern Colorado. We have Billy Goat Hop Farm hops as the base. And then, I mean, there's so many cool things about Curio. Um, but the other really cool part is um, it's our house mixed culture of yeast and bacteria, which consists of yeast that we captured out in the wild from one of the cultures came from our peach tree that's here on site. And another, um, our friend James, who used to be um, one of the bakers at Los Poblanos, uh, he did a trade with us and he took one of our yeast traps out to the Los Poblanos lavender fields. So we left that overnight and we did a number of these. We left a number of these yeast traps kind of throughout the valley and a few of them came back really beautiful, like say, like Saison, like, you know, like stone fruit, like, so anyway, and some of them were like gross, like baby diapers. So we trashed those, but ultimately, you know, we narrowed it down to a select few. Um, so the fermentation over the last year has been on some of our, you know, wild and, and, and sour uh, cultures that we captured. So that's also a really cool thing about this beer. Yeah, you guys were, you guys shared a a couple of pictures and a big long post, um, you know, a couple weeks ago about uh, foraging uh, hops. What what was that and where is that going to go? Yeah, sure. So uh, this is Missy. So um, the foraging, the the hops has been sort of like this, uh, I would say like a three-year endeavor for myself and for Bow and Arrow because I initially started it as a small uh, research project, unofficial research project. <laughs> I have many projects. And, and so I was really curious about, um, in my other work as a physician, I was doing some research on um, traditional like Native American plants that some of my patients were using. And so that led me down the long winding road to the UNM Southwest Research Library. It's a really cool library with a lot of really vintage books, manuscripts. It's like dusty and it smells like old books. And they have this huge Native American collection. And so I found like this really cool um, Native American botany book that I had to get like special permission to look at. And I started just trying to match up the plants that I knew the pretty much the scientific and the English name um, to like their traditional names. And that by itself was like this really difficult feat, right? To kind of translate some of those um, plants and some of those names. In the process, I had basically run across a plant that kind of sounded like a hop that you use in beer making. These hops pretty much have these medicinal properties, right? Well, all plants, plants are medicine. So 
it is not surprising that the hop has medicinal properties. And so that's kind of how I discovered the traditional Neo-Mexicanus hop. So the hop is used in beer making uh, for both aroma and also for taste. So the different aromas you can get from like various different hops and Shiloh was kind of talking about that, but um, also it can be used for bittering, actual like taste of bitter beer. As I did more research on the Neo-Mexicanus hop, I found out to, it had a really interesting story because it's really like the only hop that's truly native to North America. So it's the, first, it's the only indigenous North American hop. And other, there's other hops that people use now commercially that are hybrids. They are, um, a lot of the hops uh, came from Europe. But this hop is like so special because like the only one that grows around here. And so then I started researching it, started talking to people, uh, reading a lot about it. And then basically found um, some tips on, on where it was growing. And, um, and that led us to basically starting this like foraging um, trip one weekend. Uh, once we had gathered all our information and we got like our map together and our little crew that was gonna go up there and like our game plan, um, got our GPS and all our snacks and basically kind of went up into the mountains here in New Mexico and, and we found these top. That's like the short story of that version. <laughs> but it's like really exciting and I'm like super stoked that we got to use it in a bow and arrow beer. Yeah, yeah. Even even sitting on this side of that Facebook post, I was like I was really excited because I love um I love all the beers that come out of Bow and Arrow. Like truly, Bow and Arrow is like my favorite uh brewery out there. I just I, I love everything about um every every beer that comes out and to read about this one, I was like, Oh my god, I have to I have to talk to you guys about it. Um but what was that like for you, um, for you guys to be out out there I don't know how much hiking you had to do and how much of a connection you made with nature but what was that like for you gathering like picking these things from from the wild because you know I, I hear a lot about like chefs and foragers who 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 do this too they they make meals out of foraged you know foraged plants and everything and it's just like next level some other kind of level connection that you make when you're there picking something that's gonna nourish you or make a good beer yeah so we started the day out just with a very open mind and try to have just really positive thoughts and good intentions. Even growing up, like when we'd go to pick sage, my grandma told us that sometimes it'll hide from you, you know, so just having that really good mindset going out was important to us. And we made sure we had some things with us if it did, uh, you know, show itself that we would have an offering. Um, so it, we started out, I don't know, sort of like nine or so and made our way. And like Missy said, we had a general idea of uh, the conditions that we've heard that they grow well in. Um, and the first place we went, we came across a lot of just like wild grapes. I just didn't even realize there were so, they're prolific. They're like right. everywhere. And so those were kind of throwing us off at first, uh, but it was still exciting. They're like, oh wow, we just, you know, we had a whole new level of kind of awareness as we're looking like everywhere. So that was really fun and, and beautiful first part, just the scenery and the landscape. And then just being together and just telling ourselves, well, we could go home empty handed, but that's okay. <laughs> so the first route we took, we didn't see anything. And so finally we kind of called it and said, okay, we're going to move on to higher elevation. Um, so we kind of packed it up. And then uh, of course with COVID, uh, some of the areas we were finding are not accessible. So one of the areas we wanted to go to, you know, someone stopped us and said, you know, you can't go further. So we're like, oh, because we were convinced, you know, there's going to be something there. So we basically yeah. had to take a detour and then just pulled off to an unplanned location, stepped off just to kind of stretch our legs and stuff. And then lo and behold, there was that signature leaf. And then so we went a little further and literally like yelled out in excitement just couldn't believe our eyes because you know everything we've read about you know other people foraging for it or it being used in beer is that 
this wild Neo Mexicanus hop is small and just, you know, not necessarily conducive. That's why it's been hybridized, all these things. So the size of it was really like shocking in that moment. Just these big, like lush hops hanging from the trees. We gave an offering um, and then, you know, we just started thinking we had an idea for how much uh, we thought, you know, we would need for this small batch. And we started harvesting it. And, you know, it was, Frank, I think was even like singing some of his songs. And yeah, we went, we went with one of our friends from uh, Sandia. You know, I think it's really interesting because all three of us are like different tribes and we've all had our own experiences with foraging, like growing up, whether it's like Shiloh with like choke cherries or whether like uh, from the Navajo side, like pinyons, Navajo tea or plants for like, um, like rug weaving, things like that. And, and then our friend Frank also has a lot of experience. So so it seemed like when we went on this uh, trip together, a lot of those like different stories would come out and kind of like gave us like the same like feelings of um, just, I don't know, a lot of it, it's like you feel kind of like a little kid almost, like there's a lot of wonder and excitement. And, and I think like Shiloh was saying, when you actually find what you're looking for, it's like this feeling of just like pure like joy. And, and it, it's a hard day because if you've ever been foraging, it's like you kind of have to tune your eyes. Like if you're actually looking into a forest or if you're looking into the immense, like uh, the ground cover, right? And you actually really start looking, it takes a while for your eyes to sort of get entrained to see the different patterns and shapes. And as the day goes on, like the sun casts different shadows and there's just like a lot of different things happening. So you really have to also be really present like in your in yourself and your mind and and so I, I think at the end of the day we were just like so focused and so present and and like Shyla said it, we were just like so excited and it was a really good day for all of us. There were more at that moment. So from a timing standpoint, as far as their maturity, it was it seemed to be just the right moment. But we left some, you know, we were careful careful about not trying to take every single bit. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so that goes, you know, all of, all of what you're describing, the wonder, the, you know, excitement about it, that goes into the name of the beer. Uh, What came first, the name or, you know, this whole experience? Uh, Naming beers. That could be a whole podcast on that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we kind of have a process. Um, so the the short answer is um, the name came. We had the name. Yeah, we had we always have names, like running lists of names. So the process is that we always we come up with names, and then they're centered around different themes, right? Like themes of um, what our our branding tries to evoke, like making beer here in the high desert of the American Southwest. And for this beer, um, I believe that name. Came came we picked it after it was after Mm -hmm. but it was like floating around in our like book of names so we have these cool names and it's like when the right beer comes to be and you know it's the right fit it's a secret book of names (laughs) it's locked (laughs) confidential (laughs) can't have it but yeah curio so in the southwest i don't know people's maybe grandparents have little, little cabinets of little like trinkets so a lot, a lot of times it refers to like um, unusual or peculiar items um, that are sort of lined up in this old dusty cabinet. <laughs> Somebody thinks they're interesting. But um, I, I thought on the book of names, like Curio is just such a, a good name for this beer. One, because I think that fooder is such an interesting uh, item in the brewery. It's it, To me, it's kind of like, a really cute vintage R2-D2. Like he's kind of, the, the vessel is like 66 barrels. 30 so barrels. 30 barrels. So it's like huge compared to just like a wine barrel. But it's like this little cute, short, like kind of stouty looking object in the brewery. And it's, it's really interesting. It's like a beautiful, um, it's like a piece of art in a way. And so I thought Curio was like really fitting for it. And I don't know, it's just like the word is really interesting and, and it, nice to say yeah and it evokes this I think idea of rare special things and as the more we thought about curio um, and how we would continue 
production out of the food or being small batches. So essentially, I talked about that, our house culture being inside of it, and it's 30 barrels at a time, but we will only, so this time, pull half of it off. So it's a, essentially a continuous feed. If you think of it, I sort of liken it to kind of like kombucha. You know, you have that SCOBY and you just, it lives there and then you sort of continuously pull off of it. So it's similar in that way. But we figured, you know, going forward, we wanted to create a series out of Curio where we highlighted and, and featured unique and special, mostly botanicals, but, you know, predominantly indigenous Southwest adjuncts and ingredients. So in that way, we thought of like each of those being like unique, rare, special things. So Curio just really suddenly came together for that beer. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the thing about, um, the thing I love about, you know, bow and arrow is that you guys have really kind of kept your eye on your, the theme of the, of the whole brewery, um, really just celebrating the Southwest and on top of just like, you know, giving people a taste of the Southwest and, you know, a feel of the Southwest with the theme and everything. Like what else are you trying to tell people about the Southwest and indigenous ingredients? Well, I think I could maybe answer part of that. Um, from my perspective, I think having, being Diné and growing up, you know, in, in the Southwest, um, it's always felt like this, this hidden gem, right? Like growing up. Um, and I'm sure most people feel that way about the places they grew up in. There's things that are super special to them. Um, whether it's like the landscape, our landscape is wildly interesting. It's a, it's a rough terrain and to come from a community that knows how to live in that rough terrain makes you have such like a immense like respect for that. You know, you're like basically in the middle of nowhere. I think from my perspective, you want to show the outside community or in my mind, like the outside beer industry that the desert is a, is a beautiful place. It can be a rough place to live, but there's also a lot of opportunity, I think, whether that's in like the discovery of a place or story yeah, or, you know, plants, that it does have its own vibe. And for me, that Southwest vibe was sort of missing in, in, the, in the craft beer community that I wanted to be a part of. As Native folks, too, we recognize, like, sure, I, you know, we've seen different ingredients, kind of a, a limited basis highlighted or adjuncted in beers in the Southwest from time to time. But not often is there like more of a, a narrative or story told behind it. Um, and I think that's part of what we bring to the industry in general is just, you know, that, that narrative and sort of storytelling history that we have. I mean, we're different tribes, but, but I feel like that's a common thread. So that's something that we don't take for granted and we kind of go out of our way to write about and share. I mean, you, you'll see it in our social media posts. Like we feel like we really need to share like the experience, the story, the background. Um, and that seems to really resonate with people. I think also when you're using like indigenous ingredients, you have to do um, like your research and preparation for that, right? Because that's like a very, um, it's like a, it, not, I don't want to use the word sacred that's like thrown around so often, but these ingredients are like really special to some of our communities. And, and I think to um, use these ingredients in beer in a really respectful way, um, that's something that we feel like we have to do as a part. Yeah. Thoughtfully as an, as like, I mean, we're like a brewery and then people say like we're a native owned brewery and we're the native brewery and all this, but that doesn't mean like we have to use like all native American ingredients. But I think that's something that we are um, discovering what that means, like the process of it. We don't know what it means. Like, like, you know, we're not like the authority on it, but as we discover how to do this, we put a lot of care and thoughtfulness 
into it. And we try to be like respectful as much as we can. Yeah, and you can you can definitely see it. Um, but that's why I say that I love you guys' theme and aesthetic is because there there are different kinds of um, uh, artistic views people have of the Southwest, um, and you guys just have like a fresher, more contemporary <laughs> uh, take on. Um, on the Southwest, like the way it feels, the way, um, it should be celebrated. Um, you know, my relationship with the Southwest has changed since I have, since I was a little girl, you know, growing up on the res, you know, I wanted to get out, wanted to live in a place where there's trees and lakes and maybe palm trees and in a different country. And I want to go live here and there. Um, and as I am growing up and I'm learning more about, the 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 place I come from, you know, uh, all uh, other places in New Mexico, like my heart just started like reining itself in. And now I tell people like, I don't think I'll ever move away from New Mexico because this is my home. I'm, I don't, I can't see myself anywhere else. I don't wish to live in a different kind of environment. I love it here. And my whole family's here too. Um, so yeah, cool. Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you know, we really appreciate it, you know, cause we hope we're conveying, you know, a certain, uh, look and feel and vibe. So it's, it's really uh, great to hear you say that. So thank you. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, and, um, let's see, let, let's take it back now. You guys have almost been open for five years. Uh, tell me how it's changed. I've seen how the menus changed, um, over all this time. Cause I'm always there. <laughs> um, but how, how has business changed? And then, um, and then maybe I'll ask you a question about COVID. Ugh. Sick of COVID. Uh, I'm so sick yeah, of COVID like. too. <laughs> I, let's see. I would say like uh, one of the biggest things is, you know, when we first opened, we were definitely like a little more conservative in the styles that we were brewing. We were just trying to establish ourselves because, I don't know, at least at the time, it felt like to be viewed as like legitimate, you had to like do some solid like traditional beers that people like knew and understood at least at the time. But we had, like, we've always wanted to do, you know, to dip into the wild and sour world, but it's, you know, it takes a different skill set and experience to do that. I guess after a year into our opening in, like, March of 2017, we brought in our new head brewer, Ted O'Hanlon, um, and he brought some of that um, sour, you know, and, and wild beer experience and also working with barrels. Um, but also, you know, he was at a point in his career where he was wanting to explore, you know, some of these approaches and styles more. And so we really connected on that. We hadn't previously done it. Um, so when he joined us, we like put a stake in the ground and we weren't sure if Albuquerque or the Southwest generally um, really had a palate yet for you know these wild and sour beers so it was a bit of a in, at least at the time it felt kind of risky to suddenly be investing in you know barrels in the racks and you know it's it's real cash that you're putting into those barrels when you brew a beer and they sit for 12 18 24 months um so and you know and it's an experiment at the end of the day so some of it may or may not work out but that was a direction that you know all of us agreed we wanted to head down. And so that was, yeah, early 2017. Um, so I think on our third year anniversary, we released our very first Brett beer, which was Dark Mesa. It's a Belgian quad with Brett. Um, so that was our very first package beer release as well. Um, so that was a big milestone for us. Uh, and then we uh, set up relationships with like Whole Foods and Total Wine. So that was, it also felt like that was a moment, you know, when we're walking through Whole Foods and we see our beer on a shelf. I mean, that that's a moment to, to remember. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a really exciting uh, experience to actually have, you know, not only your product, but also, you know, your first beer label. And, you know, since then, thing, you know, it evolves and you see your brand 
just before your eyes becoming more fully formed. Um, so that was also exciting. So yeah, diving into wild and sours. Um, and then more recently, you know, you have to pay attention and this is from like the business entrepreneur standpoint as well. You have to pay attention to, you know, what the market wants as well. Um, so within the last year and a half or so we've started, you know, experimenting with like pastry stouts and big hazy IPAs. And I think we're becoming known for it and we're really focused on it in a deliberate way. And then more recently, you know, with the onset of COVID, uh, we took a pivot and kind of accelerated our plan a bit and acquired a canning line. So now we, we feel like we're working on like labels nonstop. We're like, okay, we've got our pipeline of labels. Um, so that's also been an evolution for us now and becoming more of a production brewery where last month we brewed the most beer we've ever produced. Um, so that's a really interesting point we find ourselves in right now. Huh. That is interesting. The last month you produced the most beer ever in the last four and a half years? Yeah, because we're, we're, we now have three core brands in cans out in retail. So we've got actually a, a pretty good footprint that we've grown ourselves. So we, we have our um, wholesaler license. So we self-distribute our products. So we're out there merchandising, making sure our bottles and cans are stocked and pulled forward and you know, making promotional materials and things. So yeah, so in addition to making sure we have beer for our on-site you know, taproom patio, we're also now making sure we're staying on top of demand for our retail accounts. Nice. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So you guys have plans to open up another location in Farmington? How, how'd that go? I know that, you know, then then COVID like fucked everything up. Yeah. So it's still, it's currently in a holding pattern. I think it was literally like two to three weeks before the COVID restrictions came into place. I had been meeting with our general contractor for the Farmington Tap Room because we have our, I mean, we have everything in place. We just need to actually do the build out, but it's a small footprint. So in terms of like 25% of capacity, which are the current public health restrictions, it's a really, <laughs> it's a really tough uh, situation we find ourselves in, you know, with regards to um, putting the capital forward to build it out because it's currently a vanilla shell, but we have our liquor license. We have our building, you know, plans approved, but as soon as COVID hit and the restrictions came into play, we put that on pause and pivoted and pursued a canning line because, I mean, we found ourselves in a situation where, you know, we, the only beer we could move was to go like literally out our side door. So we were selling glass, you know, selling beer by the glass growler. Um, and we had just the month before bought a crowler seamer. So um, we had just gotten our first, I think, order of 32 ounce crowler cans. And then when COVID hit, everyone's scrambling to put their product in cans, right? So all of a sudden we also <laughs> layered on, you know, this aluminum can shortage. So suddenly our supply chain was disrupted and we had long lead times on our crowler cans. Um, so there was a shortage and we're still feeling some of the ripple effects of that now. So Farmington, it's on pause for the moment. <laughs> pause button. Pause button. All right. You know, COVID out of the way. Um, what what else are you guys looking forward to in the future? The future. <laughs> Let me look into my crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, this like uh, acquiring the canning line, commissioning it, like working out the kinks. Um, let's see, we... We first started installing it at the end of June, which, you know, that's a few months past us, but still we feel like we're now to a point where we've worked out the kinks. We have our three core beers now in steady production, and this is actually the first month, so this is really exciting, that we'll, able, we'll be able to do some um, taproom-only kind of one-off releases we really feel like that will, you know, drive a lot of ongoing like excitement and innovation. And, you know, to be honest, we've seen, we can release some amazing beers on draft, but I feel, you know, like people get extra excited about it if it's in a can, you know, if it has some 
artwork and story, you know, to go along with it. So this is the first month we'll be able to offer some of those options. So next week is Cactus Flats, which is a single hop hazy IPA series. Um, and I'll let Missy talk about some of some of the others we've got coming up. Because you really want to ask us, right? You want to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially about those um, IPAs. I love those. <laughs> so um, sneak peek. Do you know about one of our label uh, artists that we work with? His name is Dale. Mm-hmm. He's been on our show, Native America Call-In, a couple times. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So Dale DeForest and I went to the same high school in Farmington, Navajo Prep, which is the best high school in Farmington. But yeah, so Dale is this like super creative, awesome, awesome artist. And his passion is uh, comics, right? So he's a big part of Indigenous uh, Comic-Con. I know Dale is like one of the most talented, creative people out there. And when we first started doing our labels, we wanted to keep everything sort of in-house as much as possible. I hadn't seen Dale for a while, and so when I reached out to him, he was totally excited to uh, possibly do some artwork for us. And so that's also part of the creating label process where we uh, get the idea for the name, and then we have to kind of put together the vision for what the, the art's going to look like. And so it's been really great getting to work with Dale. And most of the time, you know, like you said, we have that, try to do like that really rad Southwest vibe, uh, kind of clean lines, uh, elegant. And Dale has this like wild, like crazy side to his art where he's really into like goblins and monsters and, and like he, I mean, also like action heroes and things like that. But, but he, has like a whole array of things like that he can do. And so for this beer that's going to come out close to Halloween, it's a big pastry imperial stout, pastry inspired. So a dessert inspired beer. And the dessert is, it's like marzipan. So like tons of almond. So there's roasted almonds that went into it. There's um, Madagascar vanilla beans. So it's not extract. It's real Madagascar vanilla beans um, and cocoa nibs. Cocoa nibs. Yeah. So it's like this super like dessert beer. It's like ridiculous, probably a ridiculous amount of sugar. And, and so for this like (laughs) pastry stout, um, we're doing this collab with these uh, like uh, beer writers called Dark Side Brew Crew. They are like really into like heavy metal and stuff and they're like kind of dark, well, dark side, right? <laughs> so we're like, oh, this would be so cool for this can to have like this a theme of like kind of like the dark side, but also just like it's a big monster of a beer. So we're calling it Pastry Slayer. Pastry, Pastry Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> so I call up Dale and I'm like, <laughs> I call up Dale and I'm like, dude, you have to like give me like a, a pastry slayer and it has to be like scary and and dark so so he he gave me this really scary looking um slayer <laughs> of a thing a person <laughs> a monster god i don't know what it is but it's really scary <laughs> and it's gonna be on this can and we're gonna release it like i think the day before halloween the week, so yeah. oh, the week before halloween <laughs> that's awesome I'm gonna I'm gonna be in line for that one. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I wish I could like show you the artwork, but percent. It's in the secret book of artwork labels. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I'm looking forward to that in the in the immediate future. The ability ongoing to keep releasing these fun beers. <laughs> yeah, you you have to. That that's um you know as as a, a consumer, that's pretty exciting too. When we see really good artwork, um you know it, it really creative ingredients and mix of ingredients in there. I love that. Um, but what is you guys' like favorite part of operating a brewery? Oh, the best part. Uh, let's see, inspiration. That's always a fun, a fun thing. You know, sometimes it starts with kind of like the book of names where like names come, but there has to be a beer at some point that feels like it's the right fit. But also with certain ingredients, we'll be like, oh man, we really want to use that, but we're waiting for the, that right beer fit for it. We also just have a really solid, 
fun group of people, like super creative, like Ted, our head brewer, he has a culinary background, actually. He went to culinary school and, you know, worked in kitchens and, and that side of things before he got into brewing. So when we are talking about these culinary-inspired beers, it's really fun to collaborate and work with him um, mm-hmm. through that process. So that's really fun. Um, I mean, I think most people would say, like, drinking the beer, right? But it is totally not that. It's like, um, for me, I think... So I'm primarily like the creative director side of things. So I feel like my work here is like super fun and I get to just do all the fun things, be creative and I have no responsibilities. <laughs> just kidding. I think coming from like sort of like my sci- like science med- medicine background and, you know, uh, all that, it's like when I come to the brewery on my off, off days, on my second job, coming to the brewery and seeing like just everything that like we've been able to create, like having a like physical space and just seeing like the progress I think is like super exciting on a day-to-day basis. But also I agree with Shiloh, like, like there's a really good vibe here. And I think the people who work in beer are generally like really awesome people, like really easygoing. They're really fun to be around. And, um, we always just try to have like a really positive outlook on things Um, because, you know, beer at the end of the day uh, brings people together and people drink beer when they're feeling like, you know, there's something to celebrate. You're like with your family or friends. So it's just like a really good vibe and I really enjoy that. Yeah. And the canning line is still like shiny and brand new for us. So every canning day is exciting. Yeah, everything, there's always something exciting going on, like some new gadget. Our or, labels arrived. Yeah, you know. or we have like a new t-shirt or, you know, or so-and-so from such some awesome brewery, famous brewery came by or, you know, it's just like every day there's something like really cool, like kind of happening, little highlights here and there. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, uh you don't you don't have to you totally don't have to do this but um when i name these episodes for toasted sister usually it's something cool that somebody has said within the episode that that'll become the name of of the episode you know you guys have your book of names you guys like coming up with with the names of the beers do you have a suggestion for the name of this episode i don't know i kind of like book of names and if you say book of names Sounds mysterious. And it's kind of like the line that lines that cure you too. And people have commented quite a bit on like our names and like how we choose it, how it comes about. So it seems like it's something that grabs people anyways. It's one of the hardest things that we have to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Okay. I will call this episode book of names. Um, you know, last question here, uh, you know, native entrepreneurship, you know, what would you, what would a piece of advice for young native entrepreneurs out there? I would say, you know, any startup, any business that you're starting from scratch is a lot of work. <laughs> there's fun aspects that we've, you know, highlighted, but, you know, there's also just the usual like numbers and not so not always so fun things. So that's a part of it. So I think it's really important that whatever it is you choose to do, it's something that brings you joy. And people do talk about passion. It is important that you enjoy, you know, what it is you're doing because it'll consume your days and nights. So, you know, (laughs) that, that fun part of it is what I think will really like pull you through those challenges along the way, COVID, whatever, cash, people, you know, hiring teams is also challenging. So make sure y'all are, you know, kind of rowing the same direction and, um, and your passion is contagious too. So it kind of like spills over to your team. So I think that's important to keep, keep in mind as you're evaluating your options. Cool. I forgot about, um, I forgot about that, like personal question. Tell me a little bit about your, your background, the quick, um, you know, story of, Shyla Shepard and Missy Begay, like, what were you like growing up? What was your family like um, into, you know, your professions today? You guys, you guys are not just like the owners of Bow and Arrow Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. You go first. In a nutshell. 
Eric, in a nutshell? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My life in two sentences. Hmm. So I'll just say, uh, res kid, grew up pretty nerdy, but I felt like I always had like a good core group of friends in my life. I probably have like 300 cousins because both my mom and my dad have like so many brothers and sisters. So when I graduated, I had like, um, when I graduated from Stanford in, in the 2000s, my family like rented this Navajo Nation tour transit bus because there was so many people that wanted to come up for the graduation. And it was a year like Chelsea Clinton was in my class and like this Navajo Nation transit bus like rolls up, right? <laughs> and all these like Navajos like get out. Like all like my of like so many like different Masanis and Chays and all my all my Mayages and my Bijas and everybody like like just came and, and it and I think it wasn't until that day I realized like I'm not really like the others <laughs> because our family was just so huge. So I've been really fortunate in that. And um, so yeah, res kid, grew up, uh, became a doctor, and I study the dark side. I'm a sleep doctor. So not like the Stephen King movie, but like an actual sleep uh, medicine doctor. <laughs> and so I'm a full-time doc. And on my off time, I like need this really like artistic outlook. And so that's how I became like the creative director of things. And so I get to, to use uh, the creative side of my brain. So this is Shyla, also res kid. Um, I am not from the Southwest. I actually grew up on the Fort Berthold Reservation in Western North Dakota. Yeah, I'm Nandan Hidatsa in Arikara. And uh, grew up specifically in the community of Twin Buttes. There's probably less than 250 people at the time, including people who live way far out in like down winding like gravel roads and stuff. We had a K through eight elementary school. So for high school, we would be bused off the res. Uh, we had two choices. I went to Halliday. And yeah, most like growing up, it was, I was just always outside with my friends. We were like building forts, I don't know, horseback riding, spending time at the lake. I mean, I feel like looking back, I feel very fortunate that I felt like I was able to be a kid and like just really like soaked it up and enjoyed that time of my life and uh, just beautiful country in western North Dakota especially in the summertime it's kind of a hidden gem yeah my grandma was one of 15 children so we have pretty big family something I really missed out on this year and it still feel, makes the whole year feel off is our annual powwow at Mandaree that's where my family's from and that's really the one time of year where we all get together and we camp out. We have our same spot every single year. So that feels like a void for sure of all of the things during COVID in 2020, like that definitely has thrown me off for the year, just not going home, you know, in mid July uh, for that family time. But yeah, from there, I, I went to Stanford. I guess I would say I was like very athletic, nerdy too, but I felt like my outlets were definitely like running uh, basketball. So went to Stanford, study economics there. I ran um, track my, my freshman year at Stanford. I walked on. That was a big transition. So definitely having that structure in my everyday as a division one athlete was definitely helpful. Yeah. And then I was in the heart of Silicon Valley. So I was really intrigued with this whole idea of venture capital. And obviously coming from the res, that seems to be the challenge, like access to capital. So I'm like, what is this all about? I should learn a thing or two. So ultimately, I was in venture capital uh, here in the Southwest for eight and a half years. And during that time is when I started thinking of bow and arrow and what it would look like. And ultimately, in 2013, took the plunge. Yeah, Missy and I met at Stanford. That's where we connected. About to celebrate our first year wedding anniversary uh, coming up next week, I think. So yeah, yeah we've, we've kind of grown up together uh, seen each other through a lot of different evolutions and things. I've watched her become a doctor, which is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> this could go on and on, but <laughs> kind of, it's kind of like how that fooder arrived in our brewery. That's been like our adventure throughout this whole thing, like an epic mm -hmm. road trip, family meddling and, you know, the fooder like arrives, your dad brings in the middle of the night and it's like, just like these, awesome little adventures that that make life so funny we've done awesome. 
we've done some random things. Yeah. We've sold, we've bartered a couple star quilts to set up, set up our stand at Crow Fair long time ago. And we like bought things down here, took it up there and like sold them slept in a little tent behind our stand. Like, done, we've done some random things. Yeah, that was we've like... had some crazy <laughs> adventures. From t-shirt selling at the Crow Fair to make a beer in Elk Creek. Yeah. That was Missy Begay and Shyla Shepard. You can follow Bow and Hour Brewing on social media to keep up with their adventures in beer making or just admire their aesthetic. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Andy Murphy, overlord of the Toasted Sister podcast. Follow me and the podcast on social media for updates about upcoming events and episodes or the latest food stuff I'm obsessed with. This podcast is supported by the Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation and music is created by C.W. Ione. Check out his great music at cwion.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. We'll see you around. <laughs>